Welcome to Social Work Stories, a podcast exploring social work practice through stories and critical reflection. This podcast is recorded on Aboriginal country, lands which were never ceded. We acknowledge the traditional custodians and cultural knowledge holders of these lands and pay our respects to Aboriginal elders past, present, and emerging. We offer a warm welcome to any Indigenous listeners who are part of our podcast community around the world. If you have thoughts or feedback for our team, or just want to find our whole back catalogue of episodes, check out our website, socialworkstories.com. But for now, on with the episode. Hello everyone, welcome to the Social Work Stories podcast. I'm Mim Fox and I'm here with my lovely friend Liz Murphy. Good evening everyone. You've got a bit of a croaky old voice. I What's do. going on? A bit of karaoke on the weekend? Oh Liz, I wish so much that was the excuse I could give you. Um, but no, I, like so many other people in Australia at the moment, are completely down with flu-like symptoms, right? So, influenza's on the rise. Thank you, COVID, for putting it off for a couple of years. But actually, influenza is seriously on the rise. So, I haven't had the flu, but I have had all of the symptoms. And... um, feeling all right to be able to do this now but like I have to say it's a bit crazy to me Liz how many people are so sick right now you know like I don't know about you but every second person I'm speaking to is unwell in some way I'm I'm starting to just gently freak out here thinking I'm in an enclosed space with you Dr Fox Uh, You know, usually we're Zooming it. Now I'm suddenly sharing space with you and you're sharing with me that you're unwell. Well, let's go, let's milk crate this for a second, okay? okay? Because actually, look, my mum's a GP. When COVID first started, she said to me, maybe people will now learn to stop shaking hands and wiping their face, touching their faces when they're sick and in close contact, right? But we haven't learnt. Everybody has actually gone, okay, if I've got COVID, I should wear a mask, I should keep some distance. But if I have every other symptom under the sun, I shouldn't. So I have done my best about keeping distance from people. But it is amazing to me that I don't think it, it's a bit of a health promotion moment. I but I just, mm. I just feel like as a society, have we learned anything from this pandemic? Is that too big a question to ask on this evening? Look, quite possibly, quite possibly, but I want to tell you that I ran an all-day workshop yesterday Yeah, and there were 14 health workers and that was an all-day simulation exercise. So people talking a lot in a enclosed space? We were all masked up. Well, you're, that's also though on health premises, yeah? Yeah. New South Wales health premises, so that's mandated. We have little pockets of it. We have little pockets. But I, I think I think it's a timely public health warning that you've given us. Yeah, because in and the university context, no one's masked. Right. So, and if you're in the streets now, if you're in the supermarket, wherever you are, no one's masked. So, you know, I, I do think there's just something that we all just need to be a bit aware of that maybe just take some of those lessons forward. Is it too much to ask? I don't know. Not for you, Dr. Fox. I am going to, next time I go to the grocery store, I'm going to mask up with you in mind. Yeah, yeah. Well, 
Anyway. Now, and now that we've got a change of government, maybe we'll start hearing some different messaging about how we should be behaving around contracting illness. It's too much to ask, probably. It's too much to ask. I think our listeners are sitting there going, come on, Lim, you know that's not going to happen. And look, do you know what? I'm going to segue the, that yeah. statement or that theme right into this story, this Please, social worker story. the listeners story. are hanging for it, Liz. Because when you said to me that comment about health just then, yeah. I felt like my soul shriveled up thinking, where would you be? Where do we begin? Where do we begin, listeners? How would we improve the Australian health system? But let's not go there because I think I think we'll we'll focus on this health social worker. And this is a COVID story. And there's so much to this that I am really keen to unpack with you and virtually our beautiful listeners. Yeah. But just a little intro. This is a, a social worker who's working in a very busy Sydney hospital and she's actually working in a designated COVID ward and she's actually telling a story about an older person who ended up dying of COVID. It's a really sad story. It's a really sad story. So that's a little warning for people. Um, but... She actually talks about some interesting practices that came in to support this man in the end stage of his life. And I just, I also want to get people to listen to the way in which she describes the practice around it and how it has shifted in the various waves of COVID. She talks about the approach in the first wave, the second wave, and goodness, I think she even mentioned the current third wave. I think this is a timely story, Liz. I'm glad we're doing it now. I am too. Uh, so a little bit about me uh, and my experience as a social worker in the COVID-19 space. That has been the last couple of years. Um, I've been a social worker for just over 10 years now, which is uh, slightly terrifying how quickly that time goes from uh, being a new graduate to a, I'd say now, seasoned um, veteran of the social space. Um, and like most social workers, the past two years of that uh, has been during the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, I've been involved in the COVID-19 space um, across a multiple settings, including in the community, uh, working with uh, the public health units of health districts and also as an inpatient uh, COVID-19 ward social worker. The way that social work has responded to COVID-19 has really changed um, as the climate around COVID-19 has changed. Um, you know, now that we're at year two, I look back and think how social work responded at first is, is, is so different to, to how it is now. Um, in the community role, uh, I found a lot of my, my work was quite authoritarian um, in that it was dealing with matters of um, restricting people's liberty temporarily um, for the greater good of society um, in terms of keeping everyone safe when we were trying to contain the outbreak. And a lot of that was about managing people who needed public health orders and um, putting people into kind of isolation accommodation and making sure that they kind of stayed put um, while making sure they were okay and 
as as we've gone along um, the, the timeline, the role of uh, the social work now in the COVID nineteen space has just has changed so dramatically. I guess, you know, in preparation for this uh, podcast, I am looking back at definitive moments along the way, and I'm I'm, I'm really still quite quite touched. Um, or affected uh, by a particular case on the uh, COVID ward many, 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 many months ago, I think over a year now. Um, it was the story of a older gentleman who came into hospital um, for a generally kind of miscellaneous health issue, nothing particularly um, complex, nothing particularly frightening, um, really you know when I look back on it something that could have been reasonably followed up with um at a GP practice um and unfortunately um when they came into hospital they were found to be COVID positive and at the time uh the the practice and policy around that um from the ministry and for health was people needed to be isolated um and so remain in hospital for that period of time um, prior to this, this was a, an older gentleman, happily married for many, many moons, um, very, very lovely partner, uh, a wealth of children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. Um, by all accounts, lived quite a, an active and, and healthy lifestyle. And from what I you know, came to know, um, there was a lot of joy in, in day-to-day life and a lot of life to be lived. Um, so this this gentleman um, contracted COVID nineteen somewhere along their journey, and we're now in hospital with it. Um, and unfortunately, as we've seen, you know, a pre existing health issue or two, uh, they became quite unwell and deteriorated quite suddenly. All of a sudden, um, I was we were faced with a a gentleman who we thought would just need to kind of sit it out for a couple of days and then truff on back home um, was now facing end of life. Um, this was particularly more challenging because at the time uh, the rules were strict um, stay-at-home isolation orders uh, and their very large and loving family unit were all separated, isolating in their own properties. Um, we had a very elderly spouse um, isolating by themselves um, with limited technological capabilities to be able to utilise the things such as um, FaceTime that we were um, able to facilitate for other people. Uh, unfortunately, this gentleman deteriorated quite quickly and rapidly approached the end of their life and it was a crisis social work intervention that was required. Um, our role was facilitating and ensuring that medical updates were filtering through to the family members um, and that everyone understood the gravity of the situation um, due to the fact that we weren't able to utilize our FaceTime technology here um, a lot of my role was around reverse memory making um, in that as opposed to taking something from the patient and giving it to the family we were asking the family members to give us something um, that we could then provide to the patient so what we were able to do was get these family members to um, send on over to the social worker myself um, some personal sort of stories or messages for this patient that we uh, then um, got sent up to our COVID ward, um, which was then handwritten so kindly by the staff up on the ward who then gave it to this patient who was very, very... Um, very laboured um, in their breathing and, and, and not having a good 
a good time um, at all by any means. Uh, and these were read out um, to him and he was able to die holding these letters. Um, overall, that experience um, I found was quite distressing for everyone involved in that we have multiple people who were completely vulnerable um, and had to surrender to being uh, powerless in in their experience. Um, and that was, you know, I'm sure how the, how the staff were feeling as well. That That's how I felt. We um, It was very difficult to sit with watching a, you know, multiple decade long marriage unfold um, and, and wrap up really in a matter of, you know, a matter of hours that no one was expecting or anticipating or planning for and that um, they were kept separate um, and that we were also holding the concern for the well-being of the spouse and the family members. Um, you know, unfortunately, there wasn't a lot of time to prepare uh, and it, it was quite a, um, a, dr- a dramatic climax, really, that was was quite distressing for everyone involved. Um I often think back to how much um, emotional energy I I gave that case um, and how emotionally and and personally I I became um, involved in it, which traditionally, you know, um, is not how I operate as a social worker. I keep quite firm boundaries um, in order to have some longevity (laughs) in the career. Uh, But this one particularly affected me on a a personal level. And I think that it's because at the time COVID-19 was impacting everyone. Um, It wasn't something that only affected our patients. It was affecting day-to-day life. We were in a lockdown and and, and life was hard and everyone was tired. Um, One thing I take away from that experience was how beautifully everyone collaborated. Uh, A hospital system can be quite hierarchical um that's how you know things get done uh but this really saw everyone um you know rolling up their proverbial sleeves here and and kind of chipping in with you know one of the um more senior doctors handwriting the notes and um giving them to the patient you know the the beautiful bedside nurse holding their hand um multiple people contacting the family to make sure they were okay everyone really did unify and that was quite quite beautiful to see um I look back on that case now, um, you know, more than a year later, and what sits with me is that, if I'm being frank, um, if I would have that situation again, I don't know if I could provide uh, the level of support I did at that time because I think we're all just so exhausted. Uh, you know, it's we're up to I think the third wave at the moment, and. It's been, it's taken a massive toll, um, understandably, on the healthcare system, and every everyone is really, really feeling that, and that that fatigue, that that mental fatigue, um, even being faced with the prospect of that situation again, it's it's almost unfathomable. Um, I I think, yeah, I think. I haven't had to um, respond to a situation like that in a little while and part of me queries if I've subconsciously um, ensured that I haven't had to as a social work practitioner just because, you know, the the, the cup is empty um, as it is as it is for everyone uh, at the moment. You know, um, unfortunately at the time that that scenario um, happened, it was the start of the second wave where we all um, were optimistic that that first wave was over and then life was resuming normalcy um 
and we had the Omicron variant um, and it ramped up again. And I guess we're kind of back right now in that situation where we've got things returning to a a new normal. And um, I speak for myself as a social worker, there's that underlying fear that this might be an intermission between um, another period of, of, of chaos and it's a, a time to reflect of do we, you know, as social workers working in a healthcare setting, do we, do we have another one in us? Um, so I guess that's been a lot of what I've been thinking about um, when I've reflected on the role of social work in, in the COVID-19 space. Um, you know, initially, uh, two years ago, you know, um, everyone would have done anything and everything they could, um, and, and we did, Um and we, we still want to, um, I guess it's just what, what, what do we have left to give um, as, as practitioners in, in, in that space, in that regards. And I'm, I'm sure, you know, I, I realise I'm speaking generally um, on behalf of everyone um, and, and, and I'm sharing, you know, my experience, um, but I feel like it's a, it's a universal experience across not just the social work profession as well, um, but, you know, everyone who's been involved I suppose when I think of, of what I've gained from it, um, it's been a beautiful time for collaboration. Uh, everyone, you know, I, I, I find that one of the, the greatest things about working in the hospital system is that it is quite a, it's quite a good community. Um, you know, everyone comes together um, and you really kind of saw that unification uh, when, when push came to shove. Um, I really got to see, you know, the, the kindness of, of everyone willing to do anything they could to help. Uh, but now I guess I, I, I say that the consequences of that prolonged giving um, and then that, that's just a level of kind of compassion fatigue and, and burnout um, and I think that that's definitely changed the, the landscape of the healthcare system um, and, and I guess, you know, social work within that healthcare system um, of I guess it comes back down to providing um, support uh, and, and, and kind of extent of which we can do that ongoing um, in light of the last couple of years and um, everything that we've all been through as not only kind of citizens of a global pandemic but also healthcare professionals responding to that and providing a service within that context. So I did warn you, I did warn you everyone, it was a sad one, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I'm glad that you did actually, Liz. Yeah. Look, let's kick off with um, the the commentary from the social worker about the different styles of, of I guess, working with people with COVID that she's witnessed. Mm. So I think she mentioned, you know, when we first started, and I can really relate to working in the first wave where it was um, a far more authoritarian um, approach in relation to, you know, who could see uh, patients who could work in certain spaces, what you had to wear, and there was certainly a high level of anxiety and and stress and unknowingness in that space by both the staff and also obviously the patients and their and their families. Then there's been this shift that she talked about in terms of um, being a little bit more accommodating, but I guess. If we now focus on this story, there was something, I mean, something about this story that just made me feel very heavy-hearted, Mim. I don't know if that was how you felt, but I felt incredibly saddened um, for the way in which this person died without someone who loved them with them 
but I also felt incredibly touched by the lengths that the team, including the social worker, went to 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 enable uh, his death to be to have some connection with the family and for them to be as present as possible um, through. I've never heard of reverse memory making. Yeah, that was an interesting phrase. We've talked about memory making on the podcast before, Liz. I wonder if you can just remind our listeners about what memory making is and then what reverse memory making is. Yeah, yeah. So people might remember that some of the memory making stories that we've had on the podcast have included either babies or children or adults who have generally died suddenly in the context of a of let's just say a hospital and memory making might include things like taking hand footprints lockets of hair um photos uh I think at our last or two episodes ago, the uh, social worker was talking about the um, wanting to take photos of hands have become quite a popular photo that families are wanting, fingerprints that are then being tattooed onto onto family members. So, so that's what we would call memory making. But the reverse memory making uh, has been something that sounds like it's become quite common in COVID when families haven't been able to be present. So in this case, you would have heard that, you know, um, families were able to have letters transcribed and read to the uh, gentleman um, in in the last stages of his life. And I think it was quite moving. I think she talked about one of the specialists writing writing one of the letters. But I, I look, I'm just... What baffles me, Mim, mm. is that I betcha we could have the same story being told by social workers around the world where a different practice might have taken place, i.e. that the family were able to get in there, or at least one. Because I'm just thinking now about some of the things that I've seen in my hospital where families have been able to be there when someone's died and they've got they've moved heaven and earth to get that person there. Yeah. I think there's a couple of different realities that we're dealing with here. Um, around that situation about whether or not family members have been allowed into hospitals when people are dying. Um, One of the realities is that, uh, like you said, there have been these different waves of COVID, right? And because we're learning as we go, each wave is producing new knowledge and new information and the health services are having to play catch up all the time, right? The amount, the speed of which new policies are getting put out there is incredible and health workers then are having to respond almost to, on a daily basis to a change of circumstance and change of practice if, effectively. But the second thing that I've seen, um, because I work with uh, social workers in different hospitals in different local health districts across Sydney, and I have definitely seen that there's different practice happening at different sites. So where your loved one ends up getting treated will change whether you're able to be there at their end of life or not. And the impact of that is huge for families, for loved ones, for the dying person, as we can see, right? But there's an impact as well for health workers on that, I think. And um, if you remember a num- fairly early on in the podcast, but we did revisit it in a, at a later point as well, there was a beautiful episode that was about professional grief. You remember that episode? I do indeed. Yeah. One, one of, of It's one of our most listened to episodes. And 
um, that episode was actually um, talking about the grief that social workers carry when they work with people who are dying, right? That the worker holds, not that a loved one holds, but that the worker holds the impact of another human being on them as the social worker. And I think this story has an element of that to it. When you talk about the impact of work that the social worker had of working with this man and the family, I think there's a professional grief she's carrying. Oh, yeah. And, Mim, awesome observation, by the way, because that helps me understand the heaviness in that, that I was picking up in the way in which this social worker told her story. It felt like something – she was both exhausted but it felt like she was numb – to yeah and so I think so I think it's the professional grief I do also think though the exhaustion is because and she says it working through the different COVID waves and not knowing what's coming next and having to be on this merry-go-round that working in healthcare has been right Mm -hmm. over the last couple of years has exhausted the entire workforce. Like, you know, we've had record strikes in the last two years from healthcare workers in this country, right? We have had the clearest messaging about exhaustion and overwork from that sector in my memory. And I actually think it's this is about taking it seriously. This is about seeing the impact, not just on the people who are actually in the hospitals, who are actually p- receiving the health services, it's about the impact on our staff. Oh, totally. And I had to I – I kept on pondering if this social worker was in my department, what could be some of the things that could be offered to her or the rest of the department is what you're, you're saying in relation to this fatigue? How do we support our workers? What needs to be done now? Yeah, and so, so I think that's right. I think it takes us into that realm. Um, but do you know, at the moment my brain is divided in half. Half of it wants to talk about self-care. Half of it really doesn't want me to. Yeah, no, if you go there, I if know. you go there, Mim, I, I swear to God, I'll be throwing this microphone. Well, that's what I mean, Liz. That's what I mean. We have self-cared to death, right? And as I know, uh, um, we've talked on this podcast numerous times, we've had episodes devoted to us and our stress journeys and our, you know, approach to self-care, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I feel like that's all very well and good. But this couple of years has taken our healthcare staff to a totally different level, a totally different place. And if there's one thing that the work we've done in this space, Liz, has taught us is that it cannot be the responsibility of that healthcare worker alone because this person, they need to not be repeatedly living a Groundhog Day of COVID work. They just can't be. No, that's what I was thinking about. Like where is it? around staff rotation is it around providing uh, longer leave is it uh, looking at some options in relation to coming back and working in a different clinical area working part-time doing a combination of you know some non-clinical work with clinical because you and I both know in our research that we found that variety helped that that's right but like I feel like I want to like organize for the best massage in the world and a 
I don't know, let's go shoot for the stars, a six-month holiday lying on a beach in Bali for this person. Yeah, but I think it goes bigger than that, Liz. Like I actually, I, for me that feels even, even though that feels enormous, it feels like a Band-Aid. I actually think there's structural issues within the healthcare services that are happening oh, now. We, we know that, Mim. I know we know it, but it has to be said. Like I think you're right. I think variety in the work. I think rotation. I think extra staff. I think there's a whole range of stuff that has to happen there. But I also think we need to be embedding this way more clearly in our supervision structures. We need it to be part of the everyday discussion. Well, you know, interesting you should bring up supervision because I would be really curious to ask this social worker why this story has stuck so much. I wondered that too, Liz, because on the surface, this story is a pretty straightforward story, right? You know, like it's not – we've had some really complex stories on this podcast. This is pretty straightforward, but the impact of it is huge. Mm. It was carefully chosen, right? Mm. Mm. So, I mean, you know, yes, if – if this person was in supervision with us, I'm sure that would be one of the questions Absolutely. that would be asked. Absolutely. Because I think you're right about the professional grief and I think it is soul-destroying when you when you see a person dying without their loved ones. And I think she mentioned that this gentleman had been married for 40 years, yeah. had a very loving family who would have been bereft not being able to get there. And sometimes it is a social worker that is that middle person that has to be actually the conduit and explaining to families the reasons why they can't get in. And that's a, that is a horrible position to be in. And then the flip side, talking with the person who has COVID, the patient, about the yeah. fact that their partner, their kids can't be by their bedside. Flies in the face of what our social worker two episodes ago was talking about a good death in a hospital. Yes. Yes, it flies in the face of everything we know, actually, about strong, good bereavement support. And so I would imagine that would be part of the reason as a social worker to not be able to support that, a good death to happen. Yeah, there's a real sadness in that, isn't there, that you know that it could have been done better. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Look, I... Um, can we move out of the analysis for a second and just debrief this conversation between us as you would in any supervision session? Because I have to say that this is a catharsis for me to be able to even have this conversation with you because I think that some of our listeners might be going, wow, they're sounding really passionate. Wow, that what an intense conversation, right? Because we've talked about this coming from different angles at different points in time. But I think the reason why we're both really passionate in this moment is because there's a catharsis. We're tired just like everyone else is, right? And we, working in this space, talking with social workers all the time, we know what this is like and what it has been like. I know, I feel incredibly protective of my social work friends and colleagues and I think that's what's ha- also happening for me. Someone who's been burnt out, yeah, who has been damaged by the system, I can see it in others and it just breaks my heart. That I th- And I think that it's interesting that this is a COVID story because I think that has been the added layer to our our social work colleagues that has just made the burden so much heavier and it does break my heart because you know I think that social worker is like would have done 
absolutely everything in their power to have made that death as good as possible. Yeah, yeah. There's a real vulnerability to this story. Uh, yes. And I want to really thank the social worker for that. Mm. Um, I think uh, it's hard. It's hard to be vulnerable. It's hard to share when it doesn't go how we want it to go and when we know that this isn't how it should be. Um, but there's a, tr- there's a truth to that, right? Mm. Like we have to share these stories because if we don't share them, the risk is that we don't aim for the stars in our practice, right? Like that's what we need to be doing all the time anyway. So we've, we've got to sit with the vulnerable, the hard moments just as much. Absolutely. Well said. Uh, and know that the impact of our work is incredibly powerful and often we shine the light on these very, very positive stories. But it does, like you say, it takes its toll. Yeah, yeah. So just to finish this conversation then, Liz, like I really want to send out that message to our listeners that if you're sitting there working in this hard space, if you've been really feeling um, like this has been a tough couple of years and that actually... It's, it's hard to keep going, that you're not alone in that, that this is actually a global experience in our profession now. And, uh, and we need to come together in a position of strength, I think, and keeping that, keeping that vision in front of us of what does, what does best practice really look like for us in our contexts and for the people that we work with. Mm. Yeah. Again, I can't add to that. <laughs> oh, thank you for this wonderful conversation as per usual. Um, it is so glad to be recording back in the same space with you, Liz. And, and if I get your flu meme, I swear. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I realise well and truly how um, how much I will go down for that. So <laughs> on that note, in case you don't hear from me again, listeners, this has been a lovely journey. Uh, but, you know, otherwise we'll, um, we'll speak to you again next month. Thanks, everyone. Take care of yourselves out there. Yeah, please take care. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Social Work Stories podcast. All of the stories we share are de-identified to respect and protect the people involved. We create this podcast because we're passionate about building the global social work community and strengthening our practice, no matter the context. If you want to help us grow the podcast tribe and continue the work that we do, we would love it if you can subscribe or follow the podcast in your favorite podcast app. That way you'll be sure to get every episode as soon as it's released. While you're in your podcast app, if you can leave us a five-star rating and a review, it would mean so much to us. You can connect with us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, where you can share our posts with your friends to help spread the word. And you can always find us at our home on the web, socialworkstories.com. The Social Work Stories podcast is made by Justin Stesch, Liz Murphy, and Dr. Mim Fox. Thanks so much for listening.